welcome to this new episode of the Pearl Dialogues. My name is Wazi, and together with Erlin, I host this podcast. And here, what we do is explore the nature of reality, which primarily happens through the lens of the teaching of the Diamond Approach. If you are unfamiliar with this teaching and want to learn more, you can check out the links in the description. In today's conversation, we meet with Byron Brown, who is a senior teacher in this school, the Diamond Approach School, and he has been teaching for more than 25 years. What struck me about this conversation was the candor, the sense of wholeness, the sense of natural simplicity, humanity, depth. And I feel a lot of gratitude in my heart for this conversation and for meeting Byron. He's also the author of the book, Soul Without Shame, that addresses the superego and the inner critic, an excellent book that I've read uh, two times, actually. In our conversation today, we do talk a little bit about the superego, but we also talk about ambition, state of the world. We talk about living life as opposed to making progress, as opposed to uh, getting somewhere. And Byron shares intimately from his own transition into now uh, getting older and the shift into another stage of life. A very heartful conversation. And I would appreciate if you could take the time to rate our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or like the video on YouTube. It simply helps to share this work and this project with more people. So yeah, something I would appreciate personally. Now let's flow into the episode. Much love. This might be the first official podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it's 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 an invention of the modern age, huh? Yeah. Age and <laughs> Yes. In the younger generations are very familiar with that. Do you listen to podcasts at all? Um, I haven't recently. About, God, five years ago, I listened to them quite a bit back when they were <clears throat> in their infancy. Yeah. There was a few that I was following pretty regularly. And then lately, I'm much more into listening to audiobooks. So that's what I listen to more than podcasts but at some point I may shift back over. I don't know. There's certainly been some interesting ones across my screen. It seemed like, well, that would be, maybe that would be a good thing to check in on. Yeah. And what would you say you're interested in nowadays? What, what are you curious about? What are you looking into? What are you studying? Ah. Uh, I don't know whether I'm actively studying something, but um, this last six months, I'd say there's been uh, a good bit of energy on relationship. And I've been married to my wife for 30 years, 31 years, actually. And uh, now we 
we continue to work on our communication and our contact and our depth of connection. And we've recently gone back into working with a there are couples therapists, and so it's been a rich and challenging area to be learning more of. It's, it's really a very key place for me right now to be learning about myself and uh, ways I'm still caught in my early history. So that's been a rich area just started listening to an audio book about that also so yeah that's that's something in terms of kind of study and investigation uh, yeah mostly um, when I'm not working as a teacher I'm I'm enjoying just being and living my life and doing activities that I like to do rather than at the moment being in a heavy study or investigation or research phase. Feels more like uh, just kind of being with the, the simplicity of daily activity and Appreciating my age and the things I go a lot slower now than I used to go. And so I can't do as much in a day and just become more settled into taking my time doing doing just ordinary things with the day, but uh, letting them just be more fully what they are and enjoying that. Yeah. Would you say that that transition for you, how, how would you describe that transition into a slower pace and, and the shift of perhaps, uh, I don't know if you would say a shift of attitude or a shift of, you, you mentioned the shift of pace. How was that transition for you? Well, it feels in one sense, it feels like a very welcome change after um, pretty I mean, I'm 70, almost 72, and so I have felt like I had a very full the last 25, 30 years being a teacher and a lot of a lot of activity. And first part of that, a lot of ambition to do everything I could and be involved in as many opportunities as presented themselves to me. And um, and that was good, but it also, um, I didn't feel as much appreciating and valuing just being in my life in a simple way. And the last five years, five plus years, five to 10 years, has been a, a shift away from the focus of doing and accomplishing more and being as 
you know, uh, being as active in service and uh, the various roles that I have had as a teacher. And uh, it's gone along with, you know, the fact of being in my 60s and recognizing changes in my own capacity physically and energetically. And uh, yeah, and more as I, I as the ambition let go and the slowing down and um, how has it been? Um, I feel like it's been a very rich and satisfying process to slow down to uh, it there was a little a little bit of stuff inside about well I'm not I'm not as busy as I was I'm not getting as much done and that's very true I don't get as much done as I used to um, but I've found that I really Partly I've cut back on my work some as a teacher and that's allowed me more space. Then also I found out that I really didn't need to be under pressure in myself to do things as much. Some of that was my own internal pressure and the way I was holding things in my mind that uh, my life didn't actually require some of that. Uh, so, you know, in many ways, my life got has gotten simpler. The, the pandemic was, you know, one element of that. In some ways, my life didn't change that much with the pandemic because much of my work is from home. And uh, I've always liked getting out to walk in the parks around here, and that didn't really change with... Um, that was the one physical activity and outdoors that I could do during the pandemic. So I kept doing that. And, but just the fact that life slowed down in general and culture in society with the pandemic, um, it supported this sense of just being simpler, just taking a few hours in the morning to get my day going between my exercise and, you know, getting breakfast and checking in with the news and listening to a book and just um, in some ways it feels like my my world has gotten simpler and and smaller in a certain way because I I don't um, I'm not really socially that active my wife and I we do connect with people some for sure but it's i'm not not a social heavily social person in terms of my activities so um yeah life's just been simpler and quieter and um I like it. It's it's been a big, a nice change from how busy I was for so many years, always with so many things. One of one of the elements of it was that I always felt there was always so much to do. No matter how much I did, there was almost always so much that I wasn't doing, still had to be done, 
So there was this sense of caring, caring a kind of uh, internal load that even when I had time off, it was, or we'd take a vacation or whatever, we'd have a little space, but there was awareness that when I got home, there would be all this coming back in again and filling me up, filling up my life and creating a kind of pressure. And so I think one of the biggest things change has been, um, you know, having enough space and getting clear about my priorities so that I can actually feel periods of time where I just, I don't have a lot that I have to be doing. I mean, I can, there definitely are things about the house or about retirement or about various things that can be dealt with, but it's not stuff that I need to pressure myself about when I'm not in the midst of work. Uh, so I don't feel so much like, oh, I can't really rest because I've still got so many things to do. It's more like, no, I can just take my time and go for a long walk and, you know. So that's that's been a really, um, a very welcome shift last years even as I get more busy to go travel again the last couple of years I've been doing a lot of traveling to Europe once again which I enjoy but I've been able to keep enough space before and after and at home at various times to now yeah, to allow a different feeling in my life than I had for many years and didn't know whether I would ever have unless I completely stopped working, but I seem to have found much more of a balance, I guess is one way to put it, much more balance between work and, and rest and play. And, and just be here more and more sense of life coming out of being rather than having to find your way down to being somehow through all the all the activity but more sense of resting being letting letting things come out of that while you're speaking i'm contemplating and reflecting on the fact that me and Elin are in such a different stage of life i mean in some sense on the complete opposite end of life than what you are so I'm curious to hear, Elin, how you relate to ambition and that drivenness and that balance of work, pure enjoyment, uh, and life unfolding. How, how do you relate to what Byron is talking about? I notice my heart gets a bit activated when you ask this question. I don't really know how or where to start answering. I mean, um, I'm a mom to start. I have a three-year-old. 
Um, and in some ways I relate with not being able to do so many things in a day that I used to do. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I need to surrender to the little one and his needs, even though he's getting older and it gets easier. That was, that was a big shift. Um, in terms of ambition, I feel a lot of gratitude for having found the diamond approach or this type of, of inner work, um, dealing with the heart. That's what I tell my son when I go working. I say, mama is going to work with the heart now for a week. <laughs> and then, then he knows. Um, then my mother's grandmother comes and says, it's a symbolic heart. I'm like, yes, yes, we know. But I don't know if I really have, do I have ambition for sure? Like I, I would really aspire to be a teacher one day. But that's coming also from a teacher in the diamond approach, but it's also coming from a sense of wanting to pass it forward, like realizing I am young, my teachers are going to die and new people will be born. Like, so that I can sense. But that's something that I just kind of know. And I don't know, see, if, like when I hear this word ambition that I, that I connected with like an ego structure thing, and maybe it doesn't have to be. Um, it's not the same as when I was like 18 and I wanted to be the CEO of the Royal Theatre House in the capital. Like that was another type of ambition that I have dropped. I'm, I'm not interested in that anymore. Um, yeah. And otherwise, like listening to you, Byron, I can feel a, a sense of relief or relaxation. And I feel like, you know, even though you're you're a man and you're much older than me, I feel like I can see parts of myself in you as another human being. And I get a bit touched saying that. Um Yeah, I don't know. There's some type of gratitude of um, seeing another human being working and living with being that's f further ahead on the journey in in your body than me. That's that's something there that that touches me. Yeah. Mm. Mm. How about you, Lindsay? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, what I want to share is I I feel so delightfully comfortable being with you both. And uh, also the moment I came in contact with you, Byron, I yeah, I'm, I'm touched by it as well. There is a sense of homeliness and genuinely feeling comfortable being myself with you. And uh, that to me, yeah, that's, that's just a very precious and uh, 
deep feeling actually in my heart, in my body. I can feel it in my nervous system as a kind of relaxation and an overarching sense of pleasure in my being. I can also relate a lot to the topic that you're touching on here. Um, and this topic of ambition is something that I've reflected upon a lot lately. And this drivenness that I definitely have experienced a lot of in my last 10 years, especially, or actually more than that. But when it comes to since the beginning or the start of my spiritual uh, activation, drive has been a very central uh, part of that. And that has been parallel with also a part of me that is ambitious in wanting in, in being an aspirational of wanting to both contribute to actualize my potential uh, and discover everything that life has to offer uh, within the context of my own life. So when I look at my own life, I see that so much of my time is devoted to both inner work and work in general. Uh, so there is definitely a, a kind of spiritual warrior archetype that lives in my soul. And at times I see that I can have difficulty in simply releasing that relaxing back and not moving forward in some sense even it can be within the context of inquiry or meditation or learning there is this momentum that that drives me forward and i see that um one way it comes to expression beside the good effects that it brings is a sense of striving that there is a sense of relentlessness to that as well which is not that pleasant which uh, can feel straining on my psyche and my soul and yeah so there's a part of me that also longs for even more softness and even more enjoyment of the simple things and also the ability to enjoy myself when I'm alone without necessarily doing work as such, whether that be inner work or creative projects or becoming something so, so it touches me to hear you speak about this uh, as an elder uh, and uh, as someone who has dedicated so many, several decades to the path of self-discovery and uh, understanding and realization and also actualization. So I feel that there is a thread that connects us all actually after hearing also Alien speak. And uh, yeah, I'm, 
I'm really touched listening to you talk about the striving and the kind of pressure that you sometimes feel. Because the little, I haven't watched too many of the podcasts, but I looked a little bit at a few of them. And the one thing I was struck by in all of them, and I felt it again here as we began, was the kind of space that you take and you allow and you bring, invite in the podcast context of just, we can just sit and look at each other for minutes or we can just taste the feeling of being here together. We can feel our hearts. You know, that sense, I, it was very palpable to me in the other podcasts I looked at and I feel it here with you today. So it's interesting feeling the, almost like, oh, here in this context, you let everything else go and you're just here, not trying to get anywhere, but just be here. And uh, so it's, I'm just holding those two in my awareness as I'm sitting here with you and it's, it's touching to feel, you know, both elements, the one that you describe that you feel as you go through your life and the one that you manifest here with me, with us, with the people that you talk to. Uh, I don't know whether that resonates for you, but I'm, I'm touched by it. That do, does resonate. That does resonate. And uh, just to reveal me, I mean, in this space, I feel that the space that you're talking about and this dimension of being of just pure exploration and in some sense giving myself completely to the flow without having an, an, an agenda comes so natural mm -hmm. and i do experience that sometimes in daily life but but i wouldn't say that uh, i would also say that there is this very active drive that has this sense of striving so it's more readily available within this context for some reason i don't know if you know can speak to that or have any idea why that may be um yeah mm -hmm. yeah well yeah. it reminds me uh, i mean i i'm pretty certain that i'm a seven on the enneagram and uh one of the elements of the seven that I feel most connected to is that is the sense of um, the experience of the flow of reality, the flow of being, the flow of um, creativity, the flow of aliveness. And it's something that I've always felt a connection with, but um, it's been, it's also been the context in which I feel in some way the most pain and suffering because in a deep way, historically, I, I grew up feeling that 
the flow was happening, but I was not part of it. And so on some level, I'm always trying to get into the flow. I know enough of it that if I can be in it, I know I can relax and be taken and feel nourished and feel um, <clears throat> gifted and blessed with what it's like to just be in the flow of things happening and not having to have a plan, not having to have an agenda, have somewhere to get to, but just really feel that incredible dynamism of life moving and not having to try and be in charge of it, but just in, be carried by it. Uh, so I've always been very attuned to the places where I could feel that. For me, for many years, it was dance. I, I was in improvisational dance and something called contact improvisation, where you, you put your focus on a, a point of contact between you and another body. And then you keep your focus there and the two of you move. And so you end up following this point of contact, rolling on each other, going down the floor, coming back up, leaning into each other, pulling away, lifting the other person, falling on them. All these things happen, but it's because you're following this point of contact. So it, it, it creates a flow in a sense that is coming out of your body's movement in space and the other person's body and how your weights fall together. So it, it's not like you don't have any impact, any, any way to in, um, have an impact on that flow. You do, you could push harder, you can relax, you can let go, you can jump, you can do things. But the point is you need to keep that point of contact and, and that's where the integrity of the dance comes from. So you're really in this dynamic between your own energy and your own inspiration and then what is needed to follow the dance. And um, so that was a context where I very much knew this sense of flow and being able to let go into it and give over to it and feel these amazing dances that would happen with people out of that. Um, but I was also aware that in the rest of my life, I didn't feel that kind of flow. I felt much more like I was trying to make things happen, be in control, make, you know, make my life work, deal with the issues, work through things that were in the way. It was like a, a lot of work. And, and that sense of flow was sort of like some something there would be such a great relief when I'd find some place where it could happen, sometimes in a conversation, sometimes in you know, listening to music, sometimes in dance, but, but it was always very limited where that would happen. Uh, and the rest of the time I was trying to find the flow in whatever was around me and somehow get myself into it because I felt like that was the fundamental thing about my identity was that I was not part of the flow. I had to somehow get into the flow. So it's just, 
you know, kind of strange thing where I have to be the one in control and active in order to get into this place where I don't have to do it, where life will take me. Um, and uh, at any rate, that's something I don't know whether it's directly what you you experience, but I I can feel that that um, split in a way that you're talking about, where if you you have a certain kind of context in which you can let go of everything else and just open yourself and feel carried and feel the love of that and it feels so natural and just the right thing. But then outside of that particular context or structure or whatever, it seems really hard to come across. Um, there seems to be something else at work, you know, that's or something else at play that's making making it be a, a struggle of a kind, you know, a certain kind of effort, a certain kind of um, challenge to to uh, keep things going. And so it's been, I think, one of the, that's, I'd say, one of the kind of elements in this transition that we're, that I was talking about towards slowing down is recognizing that when I feel not in the flow, I always have ideas about what I need to be doing to be in the flow or what the flow is like and what's keeping me from it. So I always have this, on some level, I have some kind of idea about how how what flow is and why I'm not in it or what I need to do to get into the flow or um, if I can just get certain things happening, get things arranged a certain way, it will flow. I won't need to be doing. But it's always an agenda kind of I have. And so part of this transition has been um, and it and it's you know a central tenet of the work is just to keep coming back to what's actually happening here right now. And the flow is always in this moment, but so long as I'm thinking that I have to do something to get into the flow, I'm, I'm, I'm looking towards something in particular that's not right here. And uh, that's one of the biggest challenges for seven is, is to give up the planning, give up the the agenda, the idea of how things should be happening, where it should be going, how it works. I mean, a lot of my joy in life is a curiosity about how things work. How does how does how does nature happen? How do these things occur? What is what is this way that things happen? And so it's always this desire to understand the process, understand the flow. But secretly, it's because I want to know how to get into it myself. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so it's, it's a, you know, it's a dance. And uh, I'm more and more gradually learning to, to have that curiosity really fuel more fundamentally just being here with the wonder of things rather than it being some kind of secret way to figure out how I'm going to 
belong and be a part of things and recognize that I'm always a part of things. It's even though there's that feeling like I'm outside of it, like somehow it's going without me. Mm. I feel the depth of the truthfulness of what you speak inspires me. Mm. uh, Yeah. So inspiring to listen to, and uh, what I find inspiring is there's something about truth, definitely. Um, just speaking the truth, just speaking the truth, sharing the truth as it is, particularly when in this context, in such a context that we share here, where there is uh, where there is that field and space of openness. And while I speak, I'm reminded of the world situation where I f- my impression, my personal perception is that there is so such a lack of great and deep leadership. When I look at the world, when I look at the world leaders, I, I find that leadership is so rare, good leadership. And the person that comes to me as an example of good leadership who also embodied a certain type of truthfulness and integrity is Nelson Mandela. I read his biography and I've also looked at some of his videos when he came out of prison. And for me, that's such a good example of a strong leader that you just feel is integral to the bone, to, to, to his cause, to his people, to, to that which is right. And what you're sharing here reminds me of that spirit, actually. Uh, and that's what I find inspiring, being with you and, 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 and hearing you speak. Yeah. I like that word, integrity. To share another thing, I I I'm pretty ninety five percent certain that I have an any type three. Uh, complex. So that's where a lot of the drives is connected to, without a doubt. Uh, so, I mean, to to succeed, to be to succeed, to and then to be better, to be a better version of myself in all areas that are relevant, in all ways that I can be the best possible version of myself. That's such a deeply, deeply ingrained uh, both wish and also in some sense ambition and drive. And I also know that there is a kernel of truth in it, in that there is a, the, it points to a certain potential, my true potential, or the true potential of my soul within the context of this incarnation. So 
I can feel when I really just release fully to the to the spirit of it. There is a pure sense of aliveness in that in that uh, dynamism and that drive and also intelligence. I really feel the optimizing force embodied, embedded in that drive. And then I also see how it is multidimensional, how my ego also appropriates it and reifies it. And, and then it, it, it can get kind of straining or become a fixation that then collapses or leads to a sense of contraction and also can invoke or bring in superego, right? Comparison, uh, particularly in terms of accomplishment and achievement. So it's such a complex and nuanced and multidimensional force. Uh, and I feel myself on all levels. And that's what I see in my daily life, how it operates. And it's such a, that particular dance is so central to my soul, to my lifetime, I would say. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I think of uh, with the three, the the sense of the doer. place where we actually discover more about what true action is, where it comes from. It's like part of that dance that you're describing is who's, who actually does, what is the doing, what is, you talk about becoming the best, becoming more fully what does that mean? What is, is there a doing in that? Is there a knowing? What are our beliefs about that? So it's part of what I'm hearing as you, you're talking about the multidimensional process that <clears throat> goes all the way from our superego to our, to our heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. True dynamism, unfoldment of being, but also living through us as individuals and our histories and our ideas about what we are. Yeah. I need to laugh a little bit because yeah. I get so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what are you nervous about, Amy? Yeah. <laughs> My heart is racing and becomes like, ah. <laughs> um, no, it's just, I'm just so aware of my own, my own fear, like, uh, for this topic. And, uh, yeah, uh, my Enneagram teacher told me I'm a six. <laughs> so it seems pretty aligned with that, that that is my reaction the anxiety and the fear of other people um 
and almost in every podcast actually I'm sometimes really connected with like the fear of I don't know humans and then I'm I'm still always showing up I guess that makes me contraphobic (laughs) (laughs) well maybe (laughs) laugh about it somehow Uh, (laughs) I don't know it's. I also felt I wanted to share it since both of you shared, and it's such a intimate, revealing part of my structure. Mm. Like the sense of embarrassment, and also I don't know if it's shame coming up, but it's a bit like, oh, I want to go and hide, mm. and that made me start to giggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like counterphobic in some ways is is action to cover or deny the fear. Like, I'm not going to feel this fear. I'm just going to do it anyway, or I'm going to. Um, I don't have fear. I can go wherever I want to go, or even though it it may be. A reaction, but there's a sense of denying the fear. Whereas what I'm hearing with you is that you're you're just showing up anyways, but you're aware of the fear. You're not going away from it. You're not letting it run you. So it mm-hmm. seems like it's part of the action of the, the the developing six to find your ground and just being here, staying here, learning to have faith and trust in in showing up and being real. And uh, that includes includes a lot of fear. Fear of just really being alive and being being here, being present with other people, being open to how we're affected, what gets touched in us. Yeah, I resonate with that, like the showing up part. And I'm wondering then if it's because I'm learning and putting so much trust into like the diamond approach concept or people that are working with themselves that I can feel more relaxed. But as well, the maturing of knowing having touched home, having touched upon holy faith or holy strength and have felt those qualities inside me and maturing the, I don't know which part I am maturing, my being, I guess, my soul. But yeah, almost every podcast, I sometimes feel very scared and very little. I feel touched that you share it. You're willing to let that be seen and be here. Yeah. And I, now this is a feel between us, but I also hope that that can somehow inspire another person to to show up. <laughs> Even when it's scary or 
painful. Um, yeah. Oh, that touches home somehow. That's like, I can feel the tears somehow in my eyes, not shed. Yeah. There's a liberation and uh, grief maybe. Yeah. To show up. Hmm. Hmm. One thing that came to me recently, um, actually, which is linked to my conversation with Vince, because he recommended to me the book Heart Dweller, which is one of Hamid's early works from what I gather. And if I read correctly, you were the editor of that book. Is that correct? Or I mean, it was a, it was something that, yeah, that he, he wrote a long time ago and I helped just bring it into a form that yeah. we could publish it. And there was a, there was some editing of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've read, I've, I've read the majority of the Diamond Approach books, and I know that you've been a big part of developing those works. And the first thing I'm curious about is um, A.H. Almas is Hamid, for anyone who doesn't know him, is the founder of the Diamond Approach. And I'm curious, how, what is your, who, your relationship to Hamid, how would you describe Hamid in his personal relationship with you? How, I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, um, even though I've been around him and uh, was kind of in the second group of people who began working with him. I was not there at the very beginning, but um, so I've been around him and um, supporting him and obviously learning from him for 40, 40 years. Um, but we, some of my colleagues have been friends of his, like they have social contact. Um, I mean, Kabazar, who recently passed in the last year or more, he, um, he was a, a good friend of Hamid's and they would have meals together and just hang out and drink tea and so forth. And, I never developed that kind of relationship with Hamid. Um, I mean, I felt comfortable being around him, going up to his house, sometimes for business things, but a lot because of the small group that he had there that I was a part of. Um, but most of, a lot of our contact outside of the strict teaching context where I just felt like a student of his, like everybody else, um, has been through the books. Um, and even in that context, we don't we don't 
have a lot of contact. It's more like at certain points in the process of developing a book, I'll be in communication with him often just through email, but sometimes in person um, discussing questions about the book itself or questions about what to do next as a book. And um, so various just logistical and editorial and issues related to bringing the books into the world. Um, and I've always been um, I feel like he's been a great teacher. The other context that comes to mind where I have contact with him is is around um, when I'm as I'm leading different groups, there are times where I have questions about the material. Sometimes there's questions about how to um, how to move through the curriculum or how to occasionally how to deal with certain situations with students. Um, what does he recommend? What, what would he suggest to do in these contexts? And um, I've always been touched by, impacted by his, his point of view on how to deal with situations. Um, because he exposes that part of me that wants to um, like get in there and figure out how to resolve a situation. Um, and sometimes, because one of the things I learned from this, I often have a tendency, I think many of us do, to jump in too quickly and try and work something out or fix something um, before we really have a sense of what's actually going on. So one of his main teachings, not verbally to us, but modeling is that something will arise in the school or with a student or with a situation and they'll be, oh, there's some kind of problem going on over here. And he won't generally, unless it's really a dire situation, he won't jump to do something about it. He'll say, well, let me know what you know about it, and, and uh, I'll wait to hear from some other people. And, and so he may wait several weeks or months even, letting things, some of it settle out by itself and other things get more pronounced and come to the surface more and then see how other people are seeing it. Is it just this one person or is it just the, this one group that's having this or is there something more, more going on? And so it's a, it's a process of, um, you know, from the outside, it can look like he's not taking action. He's just like passive. He's just kind of sitting there and letting things happen. But from closer to the situation, you realize he's, he's on the one hand waiting to see what's really going on here letting it have time to reveal itself rather than assuming from the, from the first things you hear that this is what's happening or this needs to be dealt with or this is a problem. Let's wait and let's see. Um, and 
and often the more you wait and the more information comes in, um, what needs to be done gets clearer. And sometimes it's not a lot that needs to be done. Um, sometimes it is something significant that needs to happen, but by waiting and really allowing it to unfold and emerge and, and kind of become clear what's really happening, then any action taken is much more effective and often uh, less complicated or less busy than if you jumped in at the first moment to try and work it out or make something move or whatever. Uh, so there's that kind of uh, learning from him that I've had over the years, some in the books, but more in, in the context of the teaching and how teaching happens and how to support the teaching and how to work with it. And not the content of the teaching so much, but more how, how the realization of um, his, his wisdom that comes from his own profound depth of being and knowing how that um, supports and, and actually embodies that wisdom in dealing with situations around the teaching. Uh, so I, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot from him watching how he deals with situations. And uh, sometimes he'll speak about them. Sometimes one of us will ask, well, why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? And then he will, he will speak about it and he'll make it more, more understandable to us, something that might not have been obvious looking at it from the outside. We'll get more a sense of where he was coming from and what his perspective was. And, um, it's often humbling and um, clarifying of, of the difference between coming from our, our preconceptions or our familiar self or whatever and, and coming from a place where there's less, much less in the way of just being an expression of being in living and dealing with dealing with these various elements of, of running a spiritual school and teaching people and supporting them to to grow and yeah he's he's not like some some people in positions of power or leading organizations or whatever who are always ready to tell you at any time what's the right way to do things or the right principles to be following whatever. There's much less of that in my experience with Hamid. There's this kind of sense of just openness and then um, helping align us with just being more grounded in the truth and letting that bring forth rather than having some kind of developed conceptual principles and ideas about how 
best way to make things happen and run an organization or do head up a school or whatever. So on the one hand, it's like the, you don't have those kind of rules and, and structures and to, to rely on to tell you the right way to operate. You feel more like you're in this open, unknown kind of field of life. Um, but in that openness, with a little support, we can, we can feel a, um, a ground in the truth that, that gives us a different, a very different kind of orientation and guidance than, than conceptual principles and ideas about how to make things work. That isn't to say that sometimes getting somebody in who knows about organizational development or knows about um, working with teams or whatever, that there's many things to learn from those kind of approaches, which is not his forte. He doesn't really know much about team building or about how to run organizations, but he does have that, that just um, immovable alignment with being that uh, really reveals what's missing in so many of these other approaches that the, the lack of that trust and, and connection with, with the depth of truth about reality. Uh, so it's, I feel very, very grateful to it been able to be in the relationship that I've had with him. It's it's not been a, you know, as I said, a very personal one. He knows me, certainly, and occasionally we have personal connection, but not that much um, in the usual way that people think of. Um, but I, I feel his presence in my field and I feel his availability that I can reach out to him and he will respond and uh, but also that he, he's just there as someone that I can I can learn from not just with his actual teaching which I learn you know huge amount from but by his his presence and his being and the way he knows about things and uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the depth of, of the significance of that and that transmission, not necessarily only through the teaching, but observing how people function, how people deal with life, how people deal with certain situations. And uh, I'm so sad to see that seeing human beings in that level of the embodiment is so rare for most of us, or, or not doesn't happen for most of us. Um, there are obviously people who do well in business or in leadership that they 
achieve certain things, but that sense of leadership from the depth of being and and where there is this groundedness in in truth itself, uh, that is a very rare thing. And uh, both in family situations and also organi- organizationally. Uh, when I look at my life here in Norway, I live in Oslo. I also find that true leadership, that where I recognize that light and that depth, obviously to level of Hamid is uh, extremely rare, but even even like a substantial depth of embodiment is extremely rare, I would say. Uh, although you see people, you know, there's so a lot of, there, there are many good-hearted people. There are many good human beings, definitely. But I do see that there is so much superego, so much standard we're, standards we're adhering to. And then this ident- identifications with the self-images, with the ego, and, and that container that we live within, that box that we live within. And um, I, I, for me, it's clear that much of the mess that we're in as a civilization is, is definitely linked to, to that to that not, uh, and uh, it doesn't look like it will resolve anytime soon based on just, you know, my eyes, what I see, because in my environment, my peers, meaning my, the people in my age group, my genuine sense is, is not that there is a lot of deep spirituality. When, when, I mean, even if you just dive 10 meters below the surface, people, some people will be a little bit receptive to that and say, wow, that is so deep. And they won't necessarily follow that thread, but they will be like, whoa, mind opening. And then they will usually continue in the same current. So my impression, looking at the world as it is, is not that spirituality is blooming I, I I feel more that we're in some kind of dark age uh, also in my in my peer group which is what it is uh, and at the same time looking at the consequence I do know just that it it, it saddens me or it uh, yeah particularly when I think about my niece I think about my my nephew. I think about people, particularly younger than me. You know, the next generation, and and my wish for them to, to to be able to grow up with minimal unnecessary suffering and minimal issues that could be avoided. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 Hmm, it's true, it's true.
it makes me a bit thoughtful and I don't know I'll just try try out the, the words in my head and my mouth and we see if we want to keep it or not for later but this like I'm curious all of a sudden I know Byron you wrote the book Soul Without Shame and it's about the superego and the structures just the superego structure and I myself am like a community builder where I live in Malcolm. I and we're starting something great, or we're starting a, a community within the community um, of people gathering and wanting to live to our highest potential. We say this is this is the reason why we're meeting. Um, and how to live together and work together, not live together household, but like meeting twice per month for dinners and collaboration. <laughs> and I'm one of the space holders for this, but there is a lot of, you know, when you get community, you will get conflict. And what we are working on now is the fact that, that some people in the community wants to exclude other people in the community from circles and how, I don't know what to call it, like sensitive or how wounded that is, like how wounded a heart is to go and say like, no, I don't want you to come to this circle I'm creating in the community. Like, I don't even want you to look at me if we are in the same room. And then that, like, I don't know. It's just like my entire body tenses up at this topic and uh, feeling like I'm in a situation where I want to provide for the good of the entire community and like finding agreements where where like we agree that it's not allowed to exclude one another but also invite for like yeah if you want to be a part of this then you need to look at yourself if you have a lot of tension with someone else then look at it uh, or seek mediation or seek support and but it's so dense the energy is so dense and I'm also getting quite some backlash for standing up for this that I think this this should be one of the agreements at least that's what I'm feeling it might not be the truth entirely but I'm curious about this concept of like this denseness and the superego and exclusion. I don't know, something like that. I don't know if something comes up for you, Byron, but it came up in the space for me. Mm -hmm. Would you like to speak to it? And maybe you will see as well. <clears throat> Well, I certainly um, can resonate with the situation you're talking about. I recently was consulting with 
a newer teacher who I do supervision with and uh, it was still somebody who'd been a teacher for quite a while in the school and she um, You know, it got to a point where she did not want to be exposed to this other teacher. And she was concerned about being in Zoom groups. This person was in a larger field, it was not an immediate circle that she was in, but it was in the larger field of teachers. And if we were going to have a teacher retreat or like the one coming up, where we were going to have uh, teacher body meetings and they break up into breakout rooms she could end up with this person and she just felt adamant that she couldn't couldn't be with that person in an inquiry and so she was concerned about whether then she just couldn't participate or whether there was some way if it did end up she was with that person she'd just have to leave the the breakout room and uh, she didn't feel like she could explain why um, so it was interesting because I, I invited the fact that we try and do clearings in school with people that we have some kind of difficulty with in order that we can get to a point where we can do inquiry with people it doesn't you have to be best friends with them or anything like that but you want to clear the field so that you can do inquiry you can be present with them. And she just did not see any way that, that she thought about trying to do clearing, but she just realized she couldn't imagine it. And, uh, you know, I could feel on the one hand, the principles that we have in the school and the, and the beliefs that if we look at our stuff and we really explore what are where our reactions come from and why we feel so unsafe and that kind of thing. We can find a ground in ourselves to be present with other people, no matter how we feel about them as an individual. So that's the principle. But uh, on the other hand, there was this person who clearly is not a beginner. She's a teacher and she's done a lot of work on herself. And yet she she was at this place where she couldn't just couldn't be with this other person. And I didn't even know who the person, she didn't tell me who the person was, but. And uh, it was, you know, it was, it was striking to me. Um, not that I felt like there was something wrong with her. It was more like recognizing that despite our principles of how we want to operate or be able to operate, it doesn't mean that we can necessarily do that all the time. That there are forces in us, whether it's, you know, often it is from our history, it is from certain patterns that have got set, set, up, set up in us to feel like we can survive, uh, we can keep ourselves safe, we can allow ourselves to be open that we need certain holding for that or um, whatever it is there's there's ways that we can't necessarily 
live up to the principles of the standards we would like for ourselves. But that's also part of our work is to be where you are and not try and push yourself to be somewhere you're not. Um, now, in your community, these are not necessarily people who've done a lot of, I don't know what kind of spiritual work they've done, if any, on themselves. And so you may have people who haven't done a lot of work on themselves. But I'm just saying that even people who have done a lot of work in this school, you know, they can, we can still be at places where much as we would like to be operating differently, we're faced with certain inner experience that we can't deny. And uh, I remember years ago being actually feeling like I, I, learned a lot from a colleague of mine in the teacher group that I was in. And she was having a lot of conflict with another teacher in the group. They had a history together, various kinds of things. And, um, you know, this seemed to be a, just the kind of thing where you do a clearing between them. But this one woman said, no, I'm not ready to do a clearing. I cannot do a clearing with you and just said no <laughs> and you know the righteous part of me said what do you mean no you're a teacher you know you've been in this work a long time we do clearings you know you can sit down with them and just and she said no i can't do that i'm not ready and she was just i mean she wasn't like defensive and tight and like angry about it she just said no i'm I'm in touch with myself and I can see that I'm not ready to be able to sit down with that other person and actually be present enough to do a clearing with them. And, uh, you know, six months or a year later, she was in a different place and she was more ready to do that then. But she was clear enough about where she was to just be able to take a stand and say, no, I'm not ready. I can't do that now. And that was a great learning for me because, I, you know, I had such a thing in my head. Well, if you're supposed to do it and this is what, how it's supposed to happen, then you just, you just go ahead and do it regardless of whether you feel ready for it or not because that's the context, that's the structure, these are the principles we have. And uh, so I could feel the way I'd override my own parts of me because of this spiritual superego about how you're supposed to be how you're supposed to be if you're a spiritual student who's done a lot of work and knows how things happen you're supposed to be able to deal with your issues and so it was um you know i don't feel like i could i could have done what she did i couldn't have somebody said they wanted to clear with me, I probably would have forced myself to, to sit down with them and try and do it, even if I didn't really feel a ground in myself to do that. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it was a while for me to begin to find more of my, the depth of my own personal ground to be, and to be able to align with that and support myself. And there's still ways that I don't feel I'm fully able to do that yet. Yeah. 
But it was it, it was a great learning for me to just see how she wasn't going to be run by the spiritual superego. She was going to stick as close as possible to her own truth, her own knowing of herself and where she was, what she could do. <clears throat> so those are some of the things that come up in listening to you talk. I mean, I really appreciate the desire to create a space where everybody is welcome, nobody is excluded, nobody is judged, nobody's rejected, um, at least outwardly. And you can't control people's inner feelings, but you can at least try and create a space and behavior that welcomes people regardless of who they are. And just can't always do that, you know. Um, we can try and set up this principle because it's a good principle. We want to support it. Feels the most um, enlightened and human thing to do to welcome everybody, regardless of who they are, not judge them, not decide they can't, they're not good enough, or whatever. Um, and if we're really going to be with the truth of where people are, we may not be we may not be able to do that very well. Or um, having that principle might exclude people. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. In other words, I don't have an answer for you, but I definitely can appreciate the challenge of the situation. You know. Um, for me, it's just inspiring hearing other people who are like mature in a way, still dealing with the same type of human conflicts, and uh, it's quite humbling. <laughs> like it's. I mean, in some ways, yeah. it can get more intense the longer you are in the work because you you work through a lot of the defenses that you have and a lot of the layers of what you've identified with. And so in a sense, in many ways, you're more free and open and more able to include more of yourself and, and other people. But it also means you're less defended from those really young places, from the instinctual places, that those places tend to come more to the foreground. And they're very powerful because they're the original seeds of our structure and our and the ways we operate. And a lot of the layers on top are, are trying to manage those forces, instinctual energies and traumatic experiences and so forth. So it, in some ways it gets easier the longer you do the work because you have more flexibility, you have more space, you have more freedom, you have more openness. But you also um, become exposed to deeper parts of yourself that um, are very challenging, you know, maybe hypersensitive, maybe very vulnerable, feel very vulnerable, may feel full of rage and hatred that you've kept, you've been able to manage and keep control of. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a double-edged sword as we get as we, you know, 
mature. Hopefully the maturing is strong enough to hold at least to begin to work with some of those deeper, younger parts of ourselves that have been hidden or have been kept in check for so long. Uh, but sometimes they can they can come forward and really show their power and it takes a lot to acknowledge them and respect them. And not just want to shove them back down again. <laughs> Cut them off <laughs> and just be the good spiritual person that you've been <laughs> working on for so long. Mm. Yeah, but it's humbling. It's very humbling. And, it, and I think for me, it makes me, I mean, I feel, the same kind of frustration and, and grief and sadness and uh, all those things about the state of the world and where, you know, the kind of pol polarization, the kind of hatred and aggression and all these forces that are seem to have been Kind of let loose in the last five years almost the pandemic almost seems like it let loose a bunch of things at the same time as it brought us together in certain ways but anyway it gives me more appreciation and more humility around the the potency of those energies that move through us as human beings and that even though we may be in a context and in a situation where we feel like we can hold the aggression or we can hold the, the deep, painful feelings of, and suffering, we're also blessed to have contexts that support us to be with ourselves in that way. And so many people in the world don't have any kind of context like that. And, uh, and just knowing how difficult it can be for, for us as we go deeper into ourselves, that it's not a case that just gets easier and easier and smoother and flows along better and better every year. No, it, it, you know, there's just so much stuff in us to, to be with and to try and include and welcome in your your issue about being inclusive, you know, and we're doing that internally, all of us as we're we're growing. It's just, you know, I just really have a lot of um, appreciation for the for the challenge in our work for all of us as human beings. Um, don't feel, I, I feel far away from being able to take a position like I know how we should solve all this or I know people should behave or I know the best way to deal with the situation. The ones out there in the world, it's just like I, I can't claim to know anything about that, even though, you know, I, spent 30, 40 years doing this work of trying to become more real and more connected to truth. Um, and yet I feel like there are ways that I recognize how little I know about 
reality and human nature, even as I have accumulated a certain amount of wisdom that I can pass on through teaching and being with people, it doesn't mean that I really actually know of answers. Um, the best I can do is just encourage everybody to find out what's real for them. Uh, I feel less and less ability to, to look at a situation out there and say, oh yeah, this is what these, these people need to be doing this or those people should do that. I don't know. I can only speak for the situations I, I'm close enough to and can actually engage with the people involved and, and see what I can about my truth, their truth, truth of the situation, and hopefully have some way of supporting that deepening. Yeah, it's very humbling for me. Thank you. Um, I'll bring your words with me in my process. <laughs> <laughs> My internal sense, my intuitive sense that what you just shared was a wonderful way to close this space, actually. So that's what I'm left with uh, after your sharing. And um, in myself personally, I feel very much at home <laughs> having been with you, Byron, and I feel deeply, deeply touched by my connection with you in particular. Um, in, and I described it in the beginning and it's still with me here now. Uh, and it's like a true, true essential inner comfort. And there's, there's, a, there's a particular kind of preciousness and value to that. Um, and observing, witnessing your sharing, how the space have organized itself. Actually, before coming on, I was reflecting on the principles that govern this particular podcast, and it's a self-organizing intelligence that is the primary principle in these podcast episodes, in the spirit of non-doing, foundationally. So I'm so... Uh, grateful <laughs> for the revelation and uh, yeah want to say thank you to you for coming on again and yes I can see that also Alien feels a lot of gratitude for this space and and uh, what's, what's been shared yeah I feel a lot of tenderness I'm aware as I listen to you and uh, just in the sense of the connection with both of you to feel your your heartfulness and your openness and your receptivity and your willingness to reveal yourselves um, and it uh, it touches me i feel the 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 warmth and the gentleness and the caring in this field between us and the um, 
the invitation to let let be revealed what wants to come forth here and what did this morning for me, this evening for you all. I feel a lot of gratitude and appreciation. I really didn't know what it was going to be like. I just, I did feel some trust from uh, what I, the energy that I got from you and communicating and also a little bit in the other podcasts I saw. And, um, it seems to have been well-placed, the trust. And, uh, so I, yeah, I'm happy to be here and be with both of you. I hope maybe we'll run into each other again. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll see you in Malcolm. I'm Spaka, yeah. I like it. Probably. I'll drop by and say hello at lunch. <laughs> Good. Good. Mm -hmm. And maybe Wazi will connect in the flesh someplace at some point. Inshallah. Yes. yes. Um, That'd be wonderful. Elin, do you want to share some last words? Mm, love, just love and gratitude. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs>